This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Blue Cliff Record, Case 25. While teaching, the hermit of Lotus Flower Peak presented his staff to the assembly and said, When the men of yore awakened, why didn't they stay awakened? The assembly said nothing, so he answered himself, because they did not gain strength along the road. Also, he said, in the end, what is it? Again, he answered himself. With my chestnut staff laid across my shoulder, I paid the crowd no heed. Cutting a straight path, I enter 1,000 peaks. I enter 10,000 peaks. That's a translation of the case by Matthew Sullivan, teacher in a Korean Zen lineage. We might compare that to the translation offered by Yamada Roshi. The hermit of Lotus Peak took up his staff and showed it to the assembly, saying, when the old ones reached this point, why didn't they dare remain there? The assembly was silent. He himself answered in their stead, saying because they would have no power on the way. Again, he said, after all, how is it? And once more, he answered in their place, saying, with the staff across my shoulders and paying other people no heed, I go straight into the thousand and ten thousand peaks. So the case asks us in two somewhat different ways to consider the nature of awakening. And whether it's as we might imagine or wish, some kind of permanent state that we can enter into. both the image of a hermit and the image of a mountain peak 
reflect an idea of detachment from the world, literally above everything, detached from everything. And we can imagine or have a curative fantasy that awakening consists of being above it all. In one, whatever way we conceive of that. And when Sullivan asks, why did the men of yore not stay awakened? Or Yamada says, why didn't they dare remain there? We might reply that being above it all might not be a place we want to stay forever. That the initial experience of awakening may take us to a place that seems detached from our ordinary preoccupations. But many koans seem to warn us against becoming attached in turn to this place of detachment. The next part of the case, in reply to why didn't they stay awakened or dare stay in that place, because they did not gain strength along the road, or that would have no power along the way. To stay on that peak not only does not do anybody else any good there's no return to the marketplace with compassionate action but they did not gain strength along the road they did not use the road down from the peak as a way of deepening their experience. That's the other way we need to think about the actualization of our uh, awakening. How does it come out into our life. 
Now, again, I'm talking about awakening as if it is a state we achieve and then stay in. And initially it may feel like that, something special happens, and it's a state we want to either have not end or repeat again as often as possible. But I think as we live this practice decade after decade, awakening takes on a different kind of meaning or connotation. Not associated so much with special experiences, but simply a kind of non-separation from our life as it is in the most ordinary ways. As Joko used to say, Awakening is not the presence of something, but the absence of something. The absence of resistance or judgment to this moment, to ourselves. How much are we at home in our own life? What we call awakening It's a kind of sense that nothing is missing from our life and nothing is wrong with our life in some strange sense. I mean, it's an odd thing to say in a world that's full of so much pain and suffering and even horror to say that there's nothing wrong with our life. But that's sort of the uh, strange paradox of this practice. And that in a way we reenact over and over again in Sashim, which may include, you know, in this very limited and controlled way, a great deal of discomfort or pain or resistance to the next thing. And yet as we go through all that, even sometimes when we're in pain or restless, we may settle into an awareness that there's nothing wrong with all of that. It's just the next thing. And we open ourselves to it, and we get carried along by it, and we stop resisting it. And we just experience Sashin and life as who we are, what's happening, what life is. Maybe we will have a moment of great wonder or oneness or bliss, but in a sense it's almost more important how we just engage all the times when that's not happening. Just the ordinary 
moment-to-moment, in-and-out experience of our body, our knees, our back, our mind. The old hermit says, cutting a straight path, I enter 1,000 peaks, I enter 10,000 peaks. I would, I would think that if you're going to walk among all those peaks, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> you're not spending all your time at the peak. And those ups and downs are the path of practice. We sometimes hear that uh, Buddha himself is only halfway there, or that there's practice is endless. But I think we have to be careful not to get into a mindset that says, you know, forever, we're not there yet. That's the whole experience of awakening is of, we're already there, we've already always been there. And that part of being there is the experience of, are we there yet? Right? It's not just the moment in which everything seems perfect just as it is. But there's even a kind of perfection in all those moments of doubt and confusion and wondering What am I doing here? Why am I doing this practice? What am I getting out of it? All those moments too are like the pain in your knee or the cold draft from an open window. They're simply part of the experience of what life is. And we shouldn't imagine that Awakening is the state that wipes the slate clean of all doubt or all resistance or all sense of lack. Rather, it's a kind of non-resistance to the fact that life is always going to contain some of those things. Just like life is always going to contain getting older, getting sick, or getting tired. We train ourselves perhaps to be in good shape. But we can't stay in a state of perfect health all the time. And we want to see how does our practice carry us through all the times when we're not in good shape, not in good health, mentally or physically. I think the 
the hermit on the mountain peak, uh, you know, is a good reminder of the kind of curative fantasy we all indulge in from time to time. Yet the hermit himself must wander through the thousand, ten thousand peaks, all the ups and downs of the mountain. Otherwise, he's just alone on his mountaintop, perhaps even afraid to come down. Boy, life down there is certainly messy. I don't want to get myself sullied by any of that, right? Then practice really becomes a place you've retreated into. Cutting a straight path. Just the next thing, one step after another. When you do that, you can never stray from the way.